Good morning. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie. Every Friday here at 1150 AM KKNW, I'll be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities that are guaranteed to lift your spirits. As you all know, I love to visit the island of Kauai, and I stay with Jeannie Russell at Dolphin Touch Wellness Center in Kapa'a. And uh, you know that she does the first Friday of every month, and so she'll be on next week doing her show from Kauai. But today we're going to visit Kauai, and my story is that two years ago when I visited for my birthday, uh, Jeannie said, you have to come watch, uh, listen to this speaker. And normally I'm going over to listen to music <laughs> at the Paniola Grill, but I was so happy that I did. And joining us this morning is Terry Lilly. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Do you remember doing that talk? I'm sure you do a lot of them. Oh, yeah, I like it. I like it being at Jeannie's place up there, and and she's quite a special gal and has a, a real big concern for our marine life here in Kauai. So it's a great place to get together and and talk about the, the good, bad, and the ugly about what's going on with our whales and dolphins. Oh, um, knowledge is, is power, and I, that's what I got. You just were a synchronicity because I've been dealing with some stuff up here at the Pacific Northwest, and you answered a lot of questions. Because sometimes I think I'm a little intuitive, and I might be or making it up, but you did answer some questions for me, and I've been wanting to have you on the show for a couple of years, but now is the perfect time because some things are happening up here, and uh, I think this ties in. But first of all, can you let the listeners know what it is that you do? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, Dina, that my path in my lifetime has been since a little kid of just being out in nature and living with animals. And I was fortunate starting at two and three years old that my parents fostered that. And, uh, and I went out as a kid and learned to snorkel and spearfish and catch my own food. And I, uh, I caught and raised hawks and falcons. By the time I was 10 years old, I'd been diving with sharks. Uh, in marine life and fish for about five or six years. Um, I also spent a lot of time out in the woods and studied reptiles. And by the time I went to uh, high school, believe it or not, I had about 160 different uh, snakes and lizards that I was raising, uh, (laughs) much to my mom's chagrin. She didn't like them very much, but my dad did. And um, and then I went on to... uh, Cal Poly University, the central coast of California, and got a degree in biological sciences. And since that point in time uh, in California, I built the first ever captive breeding zoo for endangered reptiles. And I went all around the world, and I had uh, reptiles that I got from different zoos in the world that were rare and or ready to go extinct in the wild. And so what I learned to do right out of college is I learned to captive breed them so we could save them from going extinct and also reintroduce uh, offspring back into the wild. And I was very successful at that. I've got about 126 reptile species that uh, I was the first one to ever captive produce. And we've re-released back into the wild over 10,000 baby reptiles saving entire colonies. 
And uh, so working with the reptiles, I got to travel a lot. And at the same time, I was doing my marine life studies, uh, underwater movies that I started doing as a kid. And uh, in studying whales and dolphins and sharks and sea turtles uh, pretty much all around the world. And, and that's what, what really caught me was the videos, the underwater videos, and how amazing they were that you showed us. You know, it, um, it's kind of interesting. I love teaching kids, and I have about 5,000 students here in Hawaii, uh, all the way, by the way, from four years old to I've had 10 Ph.D. students from the University of Hawaii. And what I've done, just because of modern day right now, you know, as a kid, I grew up, like most all young kids, you know, loving Jacques Cousteau and watching the Calypso and watching the very first underwater movies that they did. And their cameras weighed 350 pounds. If you remember, they had to, to take the movie camera with a crane and lift it off the boat and put it in the water, you know, from their, their boat, the Calypso. And so back when we were young, being able to video marine life was very hard to do and a very rare event. Um, Again, the cameras were big and they were bulky. Now, in the last 10 or 15 years, with the invention of, you know, GoPro cameras, um, I use a Sony 4K underwater movie camera. But the movie cameras nowadays are so small that we can take them out on a kayak, we can take them out snorkeling, we can take them out diving, and basically we can document what's going on under the sea now with video. And this is really, really, really an important and big change in the scientific community. I've got, gosh, I just got done doing a National Geographic series, and the Nat Geo folks said I probably have more underwater footage than any individual human being on Earth. And right now I'm up to about 3,800 hours of underwater footage of coral reefs, kelp forests, and marine life. So having this big data bank of footage now, we capture images that can show the scientific community what's going on out there. So it's not as much theory anymore. I have 10- and 12-year-old students that go out with a video camera, and they actually video and count diseased and dying corals. And so they're right in the water. They can go out on a coral reef or a kelp forest, and they can document what's going on. And this is really valuable information right now uh, for the scientific community. Seeing is believing. And, and the video you showed was about a turtle that was basically a friend of yours, and you could watch over time what's going on and I, I we have the orca network up here and seeing the whales is an amazing thing and that, that's what they're doing up here for us to educate us because education is what we need right now oh you bet and and the one thing that i really teach the kids a lot and i'm actually it's kind of my path in my life and it's also to get adults back reconnected with nature for me Growing up with all the animals and the sharks and the sea turtles and stuff, I don't look at them any different than other folks look at their own children, their own family. To me, I know here in Kauai, probably 50 different sea turtles by name. I know the dolphins, the sharks, a lot of the whales, the local whales that live here. So these are creatures that I'm out with every day, and I'm obviously very comfortable with them. I'm I know their mates. I, I get to view them and their kids. 
So very similar to a community of humans on land, you know, I have this relationship with these creatures in the water that is carbon copy. It's the same thing. So when they start having problems, you know, if you've got three or four kids and one of the neighborhood kids that's your child's best friend uh, gets hit by a car and they get paralyzed and, you know, the rest of their life is basically ruined because of a car accident, well, that would affect you. I mean, you might want to get out there and tell the cars to slow down and put up more signs and say, okay, this is unacceptable. You know, one of our best friends, you know, just got paralyzed, you know, because she got hit by a car. Well, I feel the same way when I'm out with my sea turtle friends and the coral reefs that they live on. I see when they get wounded, and I always have a video camera with me, so I tend to document these types of things. And then I try to understand, okay, what happened here? Why did this turtle get wounded? Why did this whale that I've known for a long time show up on the beach dead in Honolulu Bay? And then documenting how these things happen and then getting that out to the public, just exactly like we would get out to the public if one of our kids in the neighborhood got hurt or wounded. And fortunately, with social media nowadays, and like, for instance, I have one video that I released that had 7 million views um, on YouTube and Facebook and the movies that I do. I've had over 25 million views of the marine life underwater, some of it good. Okay, I do a series of education, teaching people about all types of marine life worldwide. And some of it bad when this marine life goes downhill and it gets harmed or killed. Well, I have a network of people that watch all this stuff. And then they all of a sudden start talking to their senators and their Congress people and environmental attorneys and so forth and so on and say, okay, these things are not acceptable. So we need to look at each individual incident like the orcas up in the Pacific Northwest, the kelp forest the turtles, the whales here, and analyze what's causing the problems and then get the public together uh, to contact the right people to get these problems fixed. And most of them are fixable. I'll even give an example of that uh, in a few minutes. And so there are many concerns. What's, I I could say, what's the major concern for our uh, marine life now? You know, you know what? That's a great, I just got done doing a a movie called Save the Reefs here in Hawaii. And in that movie, it was just released in theaters the other day. We talk about a half dozen different problems going on with our ocean. Most of them are people know about the plastic pollution in our ocean and how whales and dolphins and turtles and albatross and all of the animals are mistaking plastic for their normal food items. And then they're eating all the plastic, and it's getting ingested and impacted in them, and then they they come up dying because of eating all this plastic. We know about that is happening. We also know that this plastic pollution can be cleaned up. There's a lot of technologies, a lot of people working on that right now, of getting it out of the ocean and, and having, you know, other types of plastic made that's biodegradable so this problem doesn't happen. So we know about that one. We know also about we have climate change going on. We have rising sea levels, and we also have an increase in our ocean temperatures. Now, what I set out to do about two years ago, because I'm in the water every day, I tend to not pay attention to what 
the public or scientists, I guess I am a scientist, but <laughs> other scientists are telling me what's going on in the ocean. Okay, what I tend to do is go out in the ocean every day and document it myself. So what happened about four to five years ago when we started having these El Nino events, 2014, 2015, and we started having the blob out in the Pacific of this warm water that was hitting the Pacific Northwest, uh, also hitting Hawaii here, we started having problems that came up with our marine life that were automatically related, okay, to a three-degree rise in sea temperatures. Now, when that started happening, I was not seeing any of these problems here in Hawaii. When the coral bleaching and things were happening in different parts of the world, they were happening in isolated areas in the Hawaiian Islands. But here on Kauai, we weren't getting those problems. We weren't having coral bleaching. And I've been out in the water here over 3,000 hours, and I've done a lot of temperature readings. We have ongoing temperatures here in the Hawaiian Islands that change 5 to 10 degrees from summer to winter. We also have changes during tidal shifts of 2 to 3 degrees in temperature change because right offshore here in Kauai, it's 16,000 feet deep. So we have a lot of upwelling currents and a lot of this cold water that, that comes up close to shore. So the bottom line is when people were saying that the kelp forest was dying in the Pacific Northwest in 2015, and by the way, I did a, uh, a movie called The Central Coast Kelp Forest. And it took me 10 years, and I paddled from Monterey Bay, California, all the way down to Point Conception on my kayak. And it took me 10 years. I did a 1,000 scuba dives, and I documented the kelp forest in this well-known movie. So I've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. So anyway, to make a, a long story short, in 2015, we started having the kelp forest die north of the San Francisco area. We started having coral reefs die on the big island of Hawaii and on Maui, and we started having parts of the Great Barrier Reef die. Now, once again, the scientists all blame that on a three-degree rise in sea temperatures. But I was going to different parts of Hawaii, like the island of Molokai, the island of Lanai, and Kauai, and our coral reefs were not dying during that early time. Okay, and all of a sudden, then I got the notion of let's go to other parts of the world. So I got a grant, and I went to the Coral Triangle, which is uh, from Bali northward up to Borneo, Sumatra, all the way up out to the Philippines, up towards New Guinea. So that part of the world had some of the warmest waters anywhere in the world, and they were not suffering a coral die-off. And I went to French Polynesia, Mo'orea, um, uh, Tahiti, Bora Bora, and they were not having a coral die-off. And I went to parts of the Caribbean, and they were not having a coral die-off. So, once again, just being in the water, looking at it real time, I started to notice that, okay, we're not having all of the reefs having problems with the sea temperature rise. It's that simple. Now... At the same time, starting in about 2014, we were starting to see a massive coral die-off on the north shore of Kauai. 
Matter of fact, we doc- I documented over 30 miles of coastline, the entire coral reef dying within a three-year period of time, and it did not correlate to the rise in sea temperatures. They actually started to die before the sea temperatures went up. So once again, we got a problem going on out there. The kelp forest is dying. The kelp forest on the central coast of California did not die in 2015. Remember back, you know, we had the really bad starfish wasting disease and a lot of the starfish died. And and that's when you, you really triggered me because I watched that happen because I moved to Camano seven years ago. I watched that. I, I, I witnessed the the, sea, the starfish on the beach kind of eaten from the inside. I, I've witnessed the jellyfish yeah. disappear. I've witnessed the kelp disappear. The water almost seems dead sometimes. There's no nothing living. We're seven yep. years ago when I was there. I, I got stung by jellyfish. I swam into them, and there was starfish. So that was my major concern. Yeah, if you take the Pacific Northwest, I did a survey up and down the whole coastline back then. You go north of San Francisco, where they had the biggest die-off of the starfish and the kelp forest in 2015. Now, (laughs) you look at the water temperatures there. They're very cold. You go south of San Francisco, all the way through the central coast down to Santa Barbara, they had very little kelp forest die-off and very few starfish die-off compared to north. Well, that water is actually warmer than up north. So it didn't make any sense to me when they said this is all due to climate change and warm sea temperatures when our kelp forests and our coral reefs are usually pretty good at a three to four degree change in sea temperatures. And then you go all the way down to San Diego. This was really the big killer at this point in time. You go all the way down to San Diego, southern Los Angeles into La Jolla. The kelp forests all died and the starfish died. But then as soon as you get to the Mexican border and you go south, halfway down Baja, the kelp forest was fine and the starfish were fine. So So during this time, I have to say, I was hearing a piercing sound that no one else could hear. It was a piercing sound, and I I felt the whole time it was coming from the water. A piercing sound. Yeah, absolutely. And we went out and actually did the testing for that. So... What happened in just kind of in a short, and maybe we can talk about exactly why these things are happening, and especially how they affect the orcas uh, and any of the animals that are relaying and using, you know, sonar and sound and stuff to find their food and communicate. Um, so anyway, in Kauai in California or Kauai, the West Coast, at the exact same time in 2015, what I did is a map of where the coral reefs were dying and I did a map of where the kelp forest was dying. Then what I did through, with a little bit of help from Earth Justice and the NRDC, these big environmental groups that I work with, what we did is we accessed through NOAA, who gives permits to the U.S. military to operate underwater submarine training and warfare along the Pacific Northwest and the Hawaiian Islands. So what I did is I accessed the permits that were given to NOAA, or excuse me, the permits NOAA Marine Fisheries gave to the military to do these underwater testing. And in 2015, guess what? The exact areas where the military was doing their submarine underwater 
weapons training in the Pacific Northwest and in Hawaii are the exact areas where the coral reefs died in the kelp forest. They completely (laughs) lined up. And I'll even tell you in a minute uh, who I got involved with this and had a high-level meeting with the military on it. So all of a sudden now we have something else that we're looking at that's not climate change. It's not acid levels in the water. It's not plastic. It's not sunscreen. But we have this vast stretch of coastline in the Pacific Northwest and in Hawaii. And guess what? Along the Great Barrier Reef where the corals died, they were doing the exact same training at the exact same time. And you are here because of your passion to to tell this story. I mean, it has to be told. You know what? It's got to be told. It's got to be told. And at the same time, um, I have a little bit of personal um, issues with this whole entire situation because and I'll just kind of go into that story here for a minute. Like I keep trying to tell people that I look at these marine life, these turtles, these whales as my friends and my family. So what happens to them happens to me. Well, sure enough, in 2013 or 2014, I was out diving with uh, the whales and the dolphin uh, on the North Shore of Kauai here. And a U.S. military ship pulled up offshore about a mile or two out. And they were practicing these underwater electromagnetic bursts for their weapons testing. And I got electrocuted underwater. Um, I almost died. It, my, I had a heart seizure. It turned my heart backwards. I barely made it to shore. Uh, they medevaced me to Lahui Hospital here in Kauai, and they pronounced me dead of a heart seizure with no chance of living. I mean, this is, honest to God, true story. Um, so somehow I did live through it all. They medevaced me again to Oahu and got my heart twisted back and put in heart stents to hold my heart in place. And within a month and a half after that, I was back out diving with all the critters doing my underwater work. So, you know, I, I know what it's like to get shocked underwater. I know how the whales and dolphins are being killed here, and I know what they're doing. So what I did is, a once again, a very, very detailed search with a huge engineering company. And we researched the Navy. We got in through a NASA data bank. We got to see what the Navy was doing underwater in Kauai and off of Seattle. We got to look at the submarines that are being produced, joint venture with the Navy and Raytheon. And we got to see how they operate, the underwater drones, the submarines, the Navy ships, and the helicopters are currently, they started this in about 2014, they're currently using high-intensity underwater electronics in the form of electromagnetic weapons. And so you have submarines going up and down the coastline, both places, that are putting out electromagnetic impulses into the water for the purpose of weaponry. Now, at the same time, anyone that understands on how any military works, when they have uh, uh, a missile base like they have here in Kauai, and they have the missile bases up in the Pacific Northwest, well, they have to protect all of that hardware. So you have submarines that are doing this training. And by the way, anyone can get access to this information. NOAA Marine Fisheries, it's open to the public. 
The Navy has said openly what training they're doing. It's just people aren't aware of it. So what happens? You have the submarines underwater. You have underwater drones, hundreds of them. These are all controlled via helicopters from up in the air, microwave radar towers, floating antennas, and Navy ships. All of this hardware communicates with each other through electromagnetic impulses. Above water, they use microwaves, just like they're using in the 5G cell towers right now, but these are high-intensity microwaves. So all of the underwater stuff, every submarine, according to Raytheon and the Navy, the newest report that I just read the other day, I think I sent a copy of it uh, to you, that right now all of the submarines and underwater drones are putting out a 12-nautical-mile electronic current around their hardware, 12 nautical miles. Now, I used to dive and work with the Navy SEALs, so I got together with my Navy SEAL buddies and said, okay, what are you guys, what's your preparation for being around these drones and submarines? So they sent me a document that was sent to the Navy SEALs saying, and I quote, no Navy SEAL should get within 3,000 feet of one of the underwater submarines or drones, because if you get within 3,000 feet, you could suffer a heart seizure. Mm-hmm. Now, they're doing these operations right now up and down the Pacific Northwest and in Hawaii and off of the Great Barrier Reef. And look what's happening to the marine life in all of those areas. And like you said, you hear all kinds of sounds. Well, you're not going to hear the sound of electromagnetic impulses. You're going to hear the sound of the sonar. But at the same time, you'll probably notice that they've built microwave towers, um, and they have all of this hardware and all of this going on. And we'll talk in a minute how it's an incredible violation of our environmental laws to start out with. So once again, people know that sonar damages the ears and the sensory mechanisms of the orca. Everybody knows that, okay? What people don't know is electromagnetic radiation underwater completely dissolves the calcium carbonate structure of the kelp forest. That's why it turns to mush. It dissolves the calcium carbonate structure of the starfish. That's why it turns to mush. Mm -hmm. But when we have whales and dolphins and orcas show up dead on the beach or to where they can't find their food and they're starving and they're skinny, often the military will say, well, we're not even practicing sonar in that area and we can prove it. It's not the sonar that's killing these animals. It's an electrical current that they're constantly putting into the water that's causing these animals to have heart issues and other issues to where they're getting skinny, they can't feed, they're starving, and they show up dead on the beach. Yep, and I have one that was hauled off, and it is no other. We actually have commercials on radio stations right now asking people if they're willing to give up part of their waterfront property so that they can tow whales there, dead whales. That's what's yep. going on up here I, in I Seattle. Know, I, just, I just saw that. I just saw that. One of the good things, one of the very good things about studying a coral reef Um, actually much better and much easier than studying whales. When you have mammals, these pinnipeds, you know, and and dolphins and whales, when you have these critters, same with the sea turtles, 
I have like, you know, I have movies of sea turtles with their flippers blown off. I have movies of sea turtles where they're, they got electrocuted and the soft tissue on the end of their flippers actually blew outward. Uh, all kinds of horrific things we're seeing around these Navy activities. And we know what these submarines are doing nowadays with the electrification of the ocean. But it's really hard to take a turtle, a whale, an orca. We only have 155 false killer whales left here on Earth that live here in Hawaii. And most of those are going downhill because they're all within this electrification area of the U.S. military underwater. But what I started to do is to study the actual corals. And in 2015, when the Navy started this underwater electronic weapons campaign here in Kauai, the corals started to get diseased, they died, and they dissolved. Actually broke down and dissolved because the electronics breaks down the calcium carbonate structure of the coral. Now, I documented all of this stuff, 15 miles or 30 miles of coastline. I took all of this documentation to our congresswoman, Tulsi Gabbard. And uh, Ms. Gabbard, she's running for president of the United States. And she flew out to Kauai and went on some dives with me and saw the dying disease coral in Kauai in person. I did some movies with her. What Tulsi helped me do after that is she got me a meeting with one of the top generals of the Pacific Fleet at PMRF Missile Base here. And at that meeting, Obama, President Obama set it up at the time. I gave an eight-hour presentation showing where the kelp forests and the coral reefs were dying in the areas of the permitted submarine weapons training. And I, eight hours. I went through all this, all of my movies. I showed them all the documentation. And this is what the military said back to me. They said, Mr. Lilly, we will agree with you that your documentation of the die-off of the coral reefs is indeed in the area of our weapons training and as at the same timeline of our weapons training. They agreed. And then they sat there and they said, we do not and did not put anybody underwater studying the effects of our electromagnetic weapons training. No one. They just went out and did it mm -hmm. along the Pacific Northwest, Australia, and Kauai. And so what the military did in Kauai here, what we want to get them to do up in the Pacific Northwest, is in Kauai they moved their weapons training, submarine weapons training, 30 miles offshore in late 2015. Now, guess what's happened since then? All of our coral reefs have started to grow back. We haven't had any dead turtles. We haven't had any dead dolphin. We haven't had any dead whales. So if you look right now, the U.S. military is applying for a new permit to do this underwater electromagnetic weapons training right off of your stretch of coastline. Well, I'll tell you what we have. It's called Sound Defense Alliance, and I, I beg everyone to get on Facebook and like what they're doing right now because I had uh, helicopters flying over my house for the first time last night. We have growlers flying yeah. all day, every day, four of them. And we also, and this is an, on farmland, it's pres preserved land that no one's supposed to be on. And what they're going to do is go to our Olympic forests 
and do exactly what you're you're telling me is they're going to do um, submarine um, m- maneuvers off the it's for communication they're trying to kill communication between whoever we're going to go to war with but in the end it's yep. going to be in the olympic forest where you're camping and you're not going to have any idea what's going on and it's going to affect not just the marine life but all the wildlife because those growlers right now it's painful i literally i'm moving off of kameno because i can't handle the sound the island i love yep. it's heartbreaking to go out and watch the sun go down well, and see this well, I'll put it this way. Put it this way. It's not only heartbreaking, it's highly illegal. Do you, I used to teach environmental law, and by the way, I was trained and taught by Craig Potter, who wrote the Endangered Species Act. So I've done over 60 court cases under the Endangered Species Act and the Marine Mammal Protection Act. The bottom line is the use of microwaves, high-intensity microwaves, electromagnetic energy, lasers, okay, and plasma energy, these are all the weapons and the surveillance that they're using right now in your neck of the woods, okay, underwater and above water. Those helicopters intercommunicate with the submarines, the satellites. You can go and read it. Just go right beyond electronic warfare. You can read about all this stuff. Now, the bottom line is the Endangered Species Act says very clearly if any action has the chance of interfering with the feeding, breeding, migration, nesting, or behavior of any endangered species, then that action cannot take place until a habitat conservation plan is done. So what the Navy has done and the Air Force, they did habitat conservation plans and environmental statements on their use of sonar. They have not done any environmental studies on their use of microwaves, electromagnetic radiation, any of this stuff. And it's totally 100% in violation of the Endangered Species Act for them to do those maneuvers up there because of the spotted owl, because of the bald eagle, because of the orca. Any listed endangered or threatened species in their habitat, you can't be doing this stuff until you do the proper habitat conservation plan. And that's what we're pushing our Congress people and our senators and state representatives, and we're saying, look, at these military activities are completely illegal, and NOAA has not given permits for them to do electromagnetic and microwave warfare testing. Yeah, and I have to give out that again. Sound Defense Alliance, please like that. Get involved if you can. Just the knowledge game. We have Orca Network. That's another uh, great Facebook page to watch. And then also uh, give your contact so that we can people yeah. can watch your page. Yeah, I actually do a report on all of this stuff, my daily reports on the reefs, and then also all about the military. I have all kinds of letters that I've written to Congress that people can use and uh, all kinds of legal reports. So the best thing is just uh, on my Facebook page, just under my name, T-E-R-R-Y, Lily, L-I-L-L-E-Y. And then my educational underwater movie series uh, for schools and stuff is Underwater to Web, and it's uh, the number two. So it's U-N-D-E-R-W-A-T-E-R, then the number two, web, W-E-V, dot com. And so it's really important for people to have the right language that they can give to their uh, congressional people to, to stop the military from doing these until the proper studies are done. Well, and if they're not seeing the orcas come in, because they're not, they're not coming right now, and, and they're wondering why, it could be because of that. I mean, 
There's so much going on. It's, oh, I, it's I, overwhelming. I guarantee it is. Yeah. I guarantee it is. If you take the submarine weapons, submarine warfare, and just read the web pages from Raytheon and the Navy, they openly say in there that they are electrifying the sea to take control of the sea. Now, no orca is going to want to come within 12 nautical miles of a submarine that's putting out constant discharge of electrical energy into the ocean. Every one of these submarines, just think of the logic here, every one of these submarines, every one of the drones, every one of the helicopters, all of them, every one of the Navy ships, all have an electrical grid around them for surveillance purposes. They call it hardening of the grid. That keeps the Chinese, Russians, Iranians, and North Koreans from spying on the activities of the U.S. military. So they, they use electrical current now as surveillance around all their hardware and for weaponry underwater, and this is going to disorient it and or kill a large animal in the water. And that's why when you have orcas and you have these gray whales coming up on the beach, what does Noah do? Noah goes out there and goes, well, they're all dying of starvation. And then they say, and we test them, and they look like they don't have any problems with sonar, so it's not the Navy. What's well, not sonar that's killing them? They're having heart seizures, like I did. Mm-hmm. People have to do heart enzyme studies. They have to look at the heart tissue. They have to do blood studies. They have to look for nitrogen buildup in the blood. Well, and they're uh, not these animals they're not- are. We know they're not doing that because they're dumping them at the end of my island where I can see the bones come come and go with the tide. It's, Absolutely. It's being hidden Absolutely. from us. So because we're running out of time, I, I the, the thing I want to do is leave people with some hope. But the hope is learn about this. There's also Take Back Your Power is another group with the 5G thing going on. You have – and this yep. is it's affecting us every day, all day long, and we have to stop it. I'll give some great hope. Hey, let me give some great hope here. With the NRDC and Earth Justice, they have sued the U.S. military 29 times for violating the Endangered Species Act and the Marine Mammal Protection Act. And do you know that they have won every time and stopped the military operations? I don't know that. (laughs) Our Congress people and senators could stop all of this under the Endangered Species Act and Marine Mammal Protection Act if the public wants that to happen. So contact them and tell them to do so. And, also go and I'll to, supply the needed scientific information if needed. Yes, and go to Terry Lilly's page. You'll fall in love with Kauai, of course, and all the marine life there. And, you know, it takes it takes a village, but everybody can do a little bit and adds up to, to be a lot. And that's the lift your spirits for this day. For me, it's uh, our Orca Network. That's what I can do. I can help with the Take Back Your Power, which is all about the EMFs and what it does to us. But our marine life is so... Um, important because it, it it's a it's a monitor of who we are and where we're going next. So let one more time your website. It's uh, underwater, u n d e r w a t e r then the number two web dot com and then <clears throat> my Facebook where I have a lot of the information on the military. I just under my name T E R R Y Lily L I L L E Y. And you have a fundraiser. Yeah, we do. I have a GoFundMe on the, the webpage there, and we do quite a bit of fundraising. And we're also doing an entire movie series cur- uh, currently uh, that may show on National Geographic about everything we just got done talking about. Yay. So uh, we're getting the information out there, but 
you know, regionally in your area, you folks can petition uh, your federal and state politicians and force the military to do these environmental studies under uh, our federal and state wildlife laws. Well, thank you for joining me, Terry, and I'll be seeing you in Kauai this winter. <laughs> you got it. I would love to see you back over here. And uh, aloha from, uh, from Hawaii. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Bill makes me happy when skies are gray. Curious about whales in the Pacific Northwest? Orca Network's Langley Whale Center celebrates and shares the lives of gray whales, orcas, and other marine mammals of the Salish Sea. The Langley Whale Center is a project of Orca Network, a nonprofit that is based on Whidbey Island. The Langley Whale Center gives Orca Network the opportunity to have a public presence to share the excitement about the whales and marine mammals who are our neighbors. The Whale Center in Langley gives visitors and residents alike a chance to learn more about the endangered southern resident orcas who visit our area and about the North Puget Sound gray whales, a small unique population of gray whales who find sustenance in the waters of Saratoga Passage and Possession Sound each March through May. Check out the Orca Network and Lingley Whale Center on Facebook for the latest whale sightings, educational programs and events, or visit orcanetwork.org for more information. You'll be glad you did. Join Misty Thompson intuitive spiritual life coach and best-selling author Sunday, July 28th, 5 to 7 p.m. at the East-West Bookshop for her workshop, Using Your Intuition to Guide You Towards Healing. You will learn how to trust and believe that you too can use your intuition to guide you towards healing any part of your life. Tapping into your intuition takes practice, but when you do open yourself up, it can become transformative and a lasting way to heal. Register at eastwestbookshop.com. The BEPC Expo is back. It's the biggest metaphysical fair in the Pacific Northwest. And it's back in Kent and the last Saturday in June. It's bigger and better than ever. With twice as many speakers, double the rooms, more readers, healers, vendors, food, and more. Arrive at 9 a.m. for a live audience psychic show. Doors to the whole expo open at 10 a.m. This is the place to pick up your favorite gems, intuitive advice, clothing, jewelry, and handmade items sourced locally and globally. Bring your friends or come meet new friends. Mark your calendars for the last Saturday in June, June 29th at the Kent Commons for the BEPC Expo, 4th and James in Kent. Plenty of free parking, free admission, and free drawings all day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. For more information, visit BEPCweb.org. That's BEPCweb.org. Hope to see you there. Tune in to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie every Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150. You will be introduced to fascinating people, discover fun places to visit, and be encouraged to participate in activities that will lift your spirits. For a schedule of upcoming guests, visit liftyourspiritswithdinamarie.com. For archive shows, go to 1150kknw.com. Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie is sponsored by Seattle Natural Awakenings Magazine. Bored with the other stations? Hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety. We love something in a family. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie, and we're going to go back to Kauai, and joining us this morning is Denny Luna. Good morning, Denny. Good morning. Aloha. How did you get to Hawaii? Oh, I came here for my daughter's wedding, my only child, and it was just a gorgeous wedding here in paradise. Where would you stay? Well, the South Shore, um, Kenby Beach House, and... Um, it's it's just been gorgeous. The whole this is the Garden Isles, and it's called that for a good reason. A lot of Seattle people here. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of the Pacific Northwest go there, and it's one of my favorite places on earth, as most people know. So I'm just <laughs> glad you you got to go there and you had a really good time. So we have something coming up tomorrow. What's going on here in Kent? Yeah, so we're bringing a little bit of that Aloha spirit to the Kent Commons. With the BEPC Fair, um, it's our 41st year in running. And when I say we're bringing that aloha spirit, it, uh, we kind of bring that every year. We, we begin with the word aloha when we greet people and we have our people decked out in lays. And we want to have that warm, loving, connective feeling. And uh, I think that um, being the largest metaphysical fair in the Northwest, it's exciting because this year we're twice as big, uh, and we've got 150 booths, double the room size, and double our free speakers. So we have two tracks of speakers this year, and they're all yeah. they're all amazing. Yeah, um, we have a lot of people that are talking about um, connecting, and as you know, this world is not a really happy place in, in all corners. Uh, it's getting so that there's increasing anger. So about half our speakers have chosen to talk about relationships and talk about things like anger and how to transform it. And it's really not necessarily the other person's fault. There is a little bit of um, responsibility that we have to take for our own anger. And so this is a talk about how to transform it and take control, and the speaker is Nina Helfrey. We also have uh, Mark Leonard, who's a fantastic medium. There's a gal named Lynn who uses um, a whole panel of uh, angelic guidance to talk to people about how to overcome blocks in their life to building relationships. And then um, we've got Samantha Parrott, who I think is a friend of yours, um, and she's going to talk about how to work with your aura, not just how to see auras or feel them, but what to do with one, how to use your aura to discern your environment and, in very practical ways, use your aura to make wise choices. We've also got speakers like Donna Sebo, who's going to talk about um, accessing your own inner genie. You know, all of us, and I know you know this, um, have a way of reaching into our own selves and finding the superconscious there. So aligning with the heavens through our own portals inside. Yeah, I think when I first started doing this, the word psychic was a little scary, but now we know it's, we all have it. We just have to tune it up. And some of the psychics, you know, used to have, a, a, I call it homework. But you have to participate. So when you leave, you probably will have some things that you might need to do for yourself instead of 
giving your power away. So I think it's a very empowering um, gathering, and I think that's what we want right now is to people to find their own inner voice, their own intuition. And I need help constantly. And, and again, I think having somebody verify what you already know, which is most of my chakra tune-ups, is all about them going, I was just about to take that class, or I was just about to make that phone call. And I think also you said relationships. How many times are we in front of a TV or a computer or a phone when really what we're craving as human beings is to physically get out and be with other human beings? And that's what this fair is all about. It's a great place to meet people. So we have, um, you know, a, a lot of friendships, a lot of business relationships. One of the things that I do, um, and this is not really to plug myself, um, but I am one of eight people in the world that can look at a kiss print and tell you about yourself. And it's been fantastic for me as, a, you know, kind of a primary income when I do the corporate side of it. But I met my mentor at the BEPC Fair. So, you know, I want to give credit where it's due. And um, I think that having the roots at Boeing, which is, uh, you know, from the start, it was a club that meant to incorporate science and curiosity and be very open about how the scientific inquiry and the discoveries of the day matched up with what the ancient mystics were talking about. So I do want to mention that BEPC is no longer, um, you know, exclusively a Boeing thing, but it's now become its own nonprofit that incorporates everyone to, to join. Um, we do have a monthly meeting, and for $20 a year, you can see here at fantastic speakers and go to uh, great parties like we have parties for our members that are uh, everybody gets more than one psychic reading for free so um, you know just a little bit of mention about the roots of the BEPC fair and um, it is still the largest and still just astounding variety because the discoveries are out there and it you know we used to think that we knew a lot about say crystals and there used to be one little crystal Bible that everyone went to. But now there's so many new discoveries and different minds, et cetera, that are opening up. Um, and same with some of the, the angelic guidance out there, um, you know, the archangels and the angels. Um, there's, there's so many reflections now with astrology and some of the asteroids. So... Well, well, I have to say, yeah. I remembered years ago, just recently, that I did have one of your uh, uh, lips reading. Yeah. And it was spot on. I'm not that person now, but you were spot <laughs> on years ago. And it's just a little bit more, it's just a little tidbit of information for yourself. But, again, you were spot on, and I just remembered that. So, And I also have done uh, your group. I've had the meeting in Kent there, and that was a lot of fun where I got to speak. And I've also been a speaker at the event this Saturday. And it's it's just, I met, again, it's relationships. I've met so many people that are still a part of my life, including you. Well, yes. And um, that's, yeah. So come uh, back for another lip print because as your life changes, your lip prints change. But it's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, so true. Yeah, and, it, you know, we talked about how scary it can be when you first start out. It can also be a really magical time. I think that 
um, you're so open to the phenomena that's happening around you. It's really great inviting the magic in. And as you said, you have to acknowledge it. And once your intuition opens up, you have to pay attention to it. or Otherwise, it'll just assume that you don't want to listen to it. And that beautiful resource is, is gone. So um, when I first began, I was given the words, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. which was kind of a scary concept because I thought, well, it's like riding a bicycle. But, no, you have to, if you're being called to open up spiritually, you really do have to pay attention and do it the, the easy way. Otherwise, the universe is probably going to send you a message and not as politely. It's called, called a two-by-four. And if you find <laughs> yourself in Kauai, you're probably using your third eye, which is your brow chakra, and it's true. Use it or lose it. It's a muscle. And when I go there, and I don't know why I'm sitting on the beach too long or why I go into a cafe, but that's how I got to Dolphin Touch with Jeannie. My voice told me to do it, and it was a massage, which I thought I wasn't worthy of. And I went in there anyways, and I've been going there for seven years. It's like my family. And, again, when you get in tune and the universe tells you to do something and you do it, the rewards are amazing. And so that's why events like yours are so important for people to step away from television, computers, and, and the, the media that's thinking for you, and to go someplace, meet with other like-minded people, and, and learn to empower yourself and think for yourself. Yeah, it's the difference between the spiritual emergence, the gentle spiritual emergence, or the, the two-by-four spiritual emergency. So, you know, go, go to a place where you feel safe, and that's the, the best way to, um, as you say, open up your third eye, open up that new vision. Um, and take action. So where can we find you tomorrow? Okay. So we are going to be at the Kent Commons, and as we say, there's a, a forum for so many 150 different vendors, and they have everything from copper tools to open up your uh, psychic abilities to honey that has been made with bees that have been around shungite, which is the powerful crystal for cleansing, and it's helping repopulate the bee population. Um, We have um, all kinds of uh, wares, metaphysical things from around the world and crafted locally. And just come to be amazed. Um, We're a forum for people to follow their own heart and their own path. So come to the Kent Commons. Um, We will welcome you there with the Aloha spirit. (laughs) (laughs) The Kent Commons is at 4th and James. We open up at 9 o'clock with a free psychic fair, a a psychic panel for people that want to get an early start. And then the whole fair opens up at 10. But there's lots of free parking, admission is free, there are beautiful door prizes, all of our vendors are giving something of value away, and so many prizes each hour. So do come, do bring your friends, and um, thank you so much for your sponsorship of this fair every year. It it, um, means a lot to me. I've gone to your talks and, um, you know, been around you enough to... Be really grateful for what you do here, too. And I'm grateful for what you all do. And uh, I just have uh, – you're getting on a plane to come home, so uh, take every last moment and look at that water and 
and then know that one day you'll be uh, back. <laughs> will do. Looking at it now. <laughs> All right. Well, aloha. Aloha. Come back next week for more people, places, and activities that will lift your spirits. Just come, come on, eat.